KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. From KPBS and PRX, this is Port of Entry, where we tell cross-border stories that connect us. Soy Alan Liliental, and quick heads up, a few F-bombs do make an appearance in this episode. Hey, you're at 69. There. You want a piece of chocolate, too? Mm-hmm. All right, that's good. Good night. So this is Erin and her son, Kyle. And Kyle has type 1 diabetes. Hey, you're high. I gotta give you a shot. Okay, thanks. Kyle's glucose level swings up and down. When he's low, he needs to eat or drink sugar immediately. And when he's high, he needs an injection of insulin. Actually, he needs insulin every time he eats. So he's injecting himself anywhere from three to seven times a day. It's a constant balancing act. A delicate dance mom and son have to do every single day and night just to keep Kyle alive. I mean, People say things like, oh, but it's a controlled disease. You can control it. You know, the technology is so great now. It's, you got this covered. Well, yeah, you're controlling it. You're, You're basically controlling not dying every meal. As if managing diabetes wasn't stressful enough, it's even more stressful because in the U.S., insulin is really expensive. The average price of insulin tripled between 2002 and 2013. Insulin's necessary for someone with type 1 diabetes to survive. But the rising cost of one medication in particular is causing anger and increasing desperation among people who need it to survive. But having to pay so much money just to survive? Erin says it doesn't feel right. She says she just can't stomach forking over all that cash to Big Pharma. It's so maddening. I'm so furious about it. My kid needs this to live. It's just wrong. It's just so wrong. The high price of insulin feels wrong for Erin. But for others, it means that sometimes people who need insulin to live are forced to ration it, risking their lives because they can't cover the cost. So I'd have to take less insulin and we'd try and ration it a little bit because it was just so expensive. But here's where the U.S.-Mexico border swoops in to the rescue. Because just across the wall in Tijuana are farmacias stocked with more affordable drugs. Can I just jump up and down? It was $4 a box for needles. That's insane. Today in Port of Entry, we're continuing our series on medical tourism at the border with a story about two women and their journeys to find more affordable insulin. It's really a story about the fine line between life and death, the balancing act people with diabetes have to navigate every single day. 
and how crossing the line between the U.S. and Mexico can be a life raft. If you live here and you can cross the border, why not? It's saving your life, basically. No se vayan a ningún lado. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Ya estamos de vuelta. No, this is stupid. All right, whatever. So, did you alcohol your yeah. arm? Okay. Yeah. Right or left? Right. So this is Aaron and her son Kyle again. Can you turn? We asked Aaron to record these audio diaries for us so we could get a glimpse of what it's like to live with diabetes every day. We're not going to use their full names, by the way, because they want to keep their family's health information private. Kyle and I are putting his CGM, continuous glucose monitor sensor, on his arm. And it, it sort of uses an, a contraption to, to stick a filament underneath his skin, so there's like a loud pop, and it does hurt. So yeah, Aaron was getting ready to insert this tiny monitor just underneath the skin on Cal's arm. The monitor connects to an app on both of their smartphones, and that app shows them how Cal's blood sugar levels go up and down in real time. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Incredible. Okay, it's in. So, Kyle was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 2018, when he was 15, and Aaron says it was a total shock. It hit him hard and fast, nearly killing him before they even knew he had it. Do you want me to tell you the, the story? The, they call it the diversary story or something like that, the diagnosis story. I don't know, there's all these new terms I'm learning about. So, he... Um, he was drinking a lot of water at night and peeing at night, and he'd do that two or three times in the middle of the night for a couple days in a row. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, he has diabetes. Because, I thought that because my friend uh, had a child when she was, well, she had a child who was one when he was diagnosed. Um, and I asked her, oh, how did you know to take him to the hospital? And she said, well, his diapers were just wet and just, he was constantly drinking. He couldn't, he, I couldn't get him to stop drinking. So I knew that that was a symptom. And I called her and I said, hey, Kyle's been doing this the last few nights. I think he has diabetes. What do I do? I, I called his pediatrician. We got an appointment for tomorrow morning. Do I wait or what? And she goes, he doesn't have diabetes. Just go to CBS and get a blood glucose monitor and poke his finger and then call me and I'll tell you what the number means. So I run to CBS and I get a blood glucose meter and I go home and he's like, no, I'm not poking my finger. What are you crazy? And I said, no, I think you might. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, Kyle, but I think you might have diabetes. What? I don't have diabetes. Because he's walking around, he's fine, he feels, he says he feels fine. 
I say, look, let me poke my finger. And I poke my finger, and I put it in the meter, and it goes beep, and it says I'm at 110. And I'm like, look, see, it works. This, this is how you do it. You need, I don't know what that means, 110, but uh, it seems to be working. So let's do you next. And, and he was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I said, all right, we have, you have a choice. We're either going to urgent care tonight, or which is going to be like four hours, or you poke your finger and it's going to be two minutes. He says, fine, I'll poke my finger. So we poke his finger and I put it in and uh, the machine starts to beep and it starts to blink and it just says, hi, H-I. And I'm like, hi, what, what is this? He starts to cry and I'm like, oh my God, what is this? He has diabetes. So I call Linda, my friend, and I say, so the machine says, hi, I don't know what what that means. And she said, you need to go to the emergency room right now. He needs insulin. Erin and her son got in her car and she drove over 80 miles an hour to an emergency room. When she told the people at the front desk the issue, they rushed Kyle right back instead of making him wait. It turns out Kyle was likely just moments away from diabetic ketoacidosis, a life-threatening condition when your body isn't producing enough insulin and your blood becomes acidic. And from that moment on, the family's life was forever changed. At the hospital, Kyle got the first of what would become a constant routine of insulin injections. And that's when Erin and her family first learned about the delicate balancing act that is managing diabetes. This insulin is, it's life-saving, but it can also kill you because if you give too much, if, for example, you eat, you think you're going to eat 50 carbs and you give your five units of insulin and, and it turns out that whatever you ate only had 10 carbs in it, then you've given yourself four units too much, and you're going to sink, and you could actually die. So you have to sort of learn and adjust, and it's, it's complicated. So in an ongoing effort to not die, throughout the day, both Aaron and Kyle are looking at their phones at that app connected to that tiny monitor inserted in his arm. And they watch the levels go high and low. It's like a mountain range. If Kyle's high, he has a few hours before he has to get insulin in his body to prevent problems. But if he's low, it's a real emergency. He literally only has a few minutes to get sugar in his body before he could die. Erin said that watching her son's ups and downs 24 hours a day, it takes an emotional toll. It is a lot of worry, anxiety, but not fear. Not fear, because Erin can get the insulin Kyle needs. She makes pretty good money, so they would never ration it. She doesn't have to fear for his life the way other diabetics might. But like everyone else with type 1 diabetes, Kyle needs a lot of insulin. About three to four pens of short-acting insulin and three pens of long-acting insulin every month. Insurance helps a little. 
but it doesn't cover all the cost of the drug, plus the needles and all the other supplies he needs. Erin could afford the over $2,000 a month she was having to pay out of pocket, but she was just done. She says it felt gross and just too unjust to let powerful pharmaceutical companies profit off her son's disease. I feel very privileged to be in that position, but nobody should, I mean, insulin, it should be a right. Nobody should be needing to take out a loan to have a drug that keeps them alive. Erin turned her anger and frustration into action. She started doing online research, and eventually, the answer to her insulin problem came in the form of a video about getting insulin in Tijuana. So me and my producers, Kinsey Moreland and Emily Jankowski, we met up with Erin back in January 2020, a few months before the pandemic hit us. Good, how are you? The four of us started out at a cafe in an outlet mall in the U.S., at the Las Americas shopping center that butts right up against the border fence with Mexico. The pharmacy I found, I watched a Vice episode, and they went there. So yeah, that Vice video, it made it seem super simple. They recorded the whole way across. The guy spoke English behind the counter. I don't speak Spanish, so I figured hopefully that guy's still there, <laughs> and he'll speak English to me, and I can get what I need. Aaron lives pretty close to the U.S.-Mexico border, about 35 to 45 minutes away. So she decided to go for it, and she invited our little podcast crew along for the ride. Um, I did call ahead. My, my daughter speaks fluent Spanish. She called ahead and found out that they do have insulin there. They have the kind I need. And they said it's $17 a pen if I buy more than four pens at a time. And... Uh, four pens would get us through two months, so I'm going to try and buy three. I'm going to try and buy six pens for three months, and I know they have it. And we'll see when we get there whether or not they speak English or Spanish. But you guys are with me, so yeah, I think we'll be fine. Are you ready to cross the border? I'm ready. Let's do it. From the cafe, we headed across the street to the San Isidro port of entry. We just went through the border. It was exciting. Had to fill out some paperwork and uh, put our bags on a conveyor belt. I guess they x-rayed them to make sure we wouldn't bring drugs into Mexico or something. Not sure what they were. Maybe guns. They don't want guns here. And everybody was super nice. And that was a breeze. And, and there's no reason to be afraid, really. Way easier than going into America. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it took 30 seconds. May okay, it took two minutes. Took two minutes. Okay, so we're going to a place called Pay Pharma. It's right near that. It's a yeah, it's where that like, plaza is. Once we got through the pedestrian crossing at the San Isidro port of entry, we all started looking at our phones, using our map apps to try to figure out how to get to that specific pharmacy that Aaron heard about in the Vice video. It's a big pay. Do I need to change my money? Do you think I need to change my money? I just pay. 90% of what you want to take, you take US, yeah. Okay. And it's 18, 18 to 1? Looks like. 18.34. Okay. Okay. Oh, he wants us to come in there. Good Mexican food. 
tequila. <laughs> we have uh, some storefront owners wanting us to come in and eat Mexican food in their place. So, yeah, there are plenty of restaurants right here after you walk through the border and into Tijuana. But mostly, you're surrounded by tons of dentist offices and farmacias. Most of these pharmacies are painted in bright colors, yellows, blues, reds, so they really stand out. Some also play super loud music from huge speakers set right in front of their entrances. They're hoping to attract the folks like us who've just walked through the border and don't know exactly where they're going yet, trying to convince them to choose their pharmacy instead of the one next door. Some farmacias even hire these funny mascots to twirl signs and dance in front of their stores. The ones I've seen were dressed as cartoonish pharmacists with big mustaches or like hilarious giant pill bottle characters. So yeah, farmacia competition at the border is real. This area is like filled with pharmacies. I bet a lot of them have what you need, but let's, let's go to pay pharmacies, it's so close. So right in here. Erin couldn't resist all the temptation. <laughs> so she decided to check out a few other pharmacies that we came across. This, this is like Pharmacy Row. Okay. Okay. Should we, uh, I wonder if we should go in and see how much it costs. Let's, let's go in one. Let's just go in one besides pay pharma and just see what it would cost. It will beat any price. <laughs> okay. Viagra, Cialis, Levitra. You want to check here? Sure, sure. Hi. Hi. Do you have Lantus? Lantus. Lantus insulin? Insulina? Uh huh. How much is it uh, for a pen? All right, let me, I'll pull out what I have. Let's see if I can find my sample. Okay, let me, let me get it. Okay. Now, if he gets it, he shouldn't get it because it's refrigerated. So if he's just going to get it and pull it out to show me. I guess, uh, yeah, I would never buy it, right. You can tell when oh, he just, now. yeah, I'll be able to tell if it's cold. How much is it? Okay. <laughs> it's 24.60 for one pen. Okay. Or mm, it's 99.95 for three. For three pens, okay, mm -hmm. so $33 for three mm -hmm. and 24 for one. That doesn't make sense. Okay, you can put it back in the refrigerator. Thank you, have a good day. refrigerated? Yes. So more expensive. So it was more expensive to buy a three pack, which makes no sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. And in the United States, they're sold in five packs, so it is a little bit different. But it did look the same. It it had the same uh, manufacturer name on it, uh, and it was the same kind of flex pen that people use for multiple daily injections. I'm not at all worried that it's counterfeit. It was refrigerated. Um, Maybe that's just the close to the border tax. Oh yeah, if we go further deeper. Maybe it just went up in price? So the price the pharmacist quoted was lower than the price in the US. But Erin, she admitted to us that she's very frugal. Actually that she comes from a long line of very frugal women in her family. She said she wanted to score the best possible price. So we kept walking toward Pay Pharma, 
the place Aaron saw on Vice. But we still had some trouble finding it, in part because medical tourism has just totally changed the urban landscape surrounding the port of entry. They're doing a lot of construction here. Like, if you see these like satellite buildings, like it looked like there were structures there before, but it seems like they right, took everything right, down right. and are rebuilding. I mean, they're investing billions of dollars into the medical industry. That's so weird. Our, our pharmacy might be gone. We wandered in what we thought was probably the right direction, walking a bit deeper south into Tijuana. On the hunt for insulin. <laughs> I feel a little bit like this is a, <laughs> a well, or a drug deal. <laughs> it is. It just feels funny. Insulina, that's the right word, isn't it, Alan? Yeah. My daughter taught me that. All right, let's keep going. Okay, we'll come back to our insulin drug deal again. I promise. But first, we're going to talk to Liz. She's a 53-year-old grandma with type 2 diabetes who's had to ration her insulin in the past. First, because it was so expensive in the U.S., and then because of the virus and its impact on the border. Quédate con nosotros. Volveremos en un minuto. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Ahora de vuelta al podcast. My name is Elizabeth Salcido. Um, anything you need to know, just ask. So Liz Salcido lives about 10 minutes north of the U.S.-Mexico border in Chula Vista. My producer Kinsey and I met up with her at a cafe there a few weeks ago. And Chula Vista, man, this is such a cool town. This is oh, yes. Yeah. Cool it's, it's, it's getting there. Yeah. yeah. All these nice new restaurants popping up everywhere. Liz has type 2 diabetes. And at first, she just needed a pill to manage it. But the disease progressed, and eventually, she had to start relying on insulin, just like Kyle. And she says it's been tough. She's had a hard time keeping up with all the costs. You know, we were living paycheck to paycheck, and it was a little... There were months, not every month, but there were months where things were a little bit difficult to get the insulin. We had to make a choice, pay this bill or buy the insulin. So I've struggled in the last few years because of the high cost of health insurance. Um, that Sometimes I'm without insurance, and so I don't have my medications. Not having medications, though, that's super dangerous when it comes to diabetes. People have died from rationing insulin, or they suffer serious long-term complications like kidney failure or blindness. Rationing to save money is really just not a safe option. Liz could have died. Luckily, though, Liz's parents are from Tijuana. And Liz actually lived in Tijuana herself for a few years in her late teens and early 20s. 
So eventually, she realized what was right in front of her the whole time, Mexico. I just started crossing the border and, and getting it there. We were living paycheck to paycheck, and it was a little bit harder. And so we were crossing anyway, so I figured, why not? Why not try this? And why not see how much it costs, you know? So I just walked into the pharmacy, asked, and I was like, bet. Give me four of them, you know? To, yeah, you know, and so I was able to have that extra and still occasionally get my insulin here. And then, you know, I didn't have to ration. I didn't have to worry about it. I had an extra little stock there, you know, in case anything happened. I had an extra vial there that I bought in Tijuana. And if at that moment I couldn't afford it or, you know, it was a choice between this or that, I had that extra vial there. So it was very important to me to go, to go, even when I did have enough money to pay the copays. At the same time, I was still paying less in Mexico for the insulin than the price that I was getting for it here, paying my copay. So problem solved, right? Thanks to Tijuana, Liz could finally afford the insulin she needed. But then the pandemic hit. The United States and Mexico have agreed to restrict non-essential travel across our shared border. Both our countries know the importance of working together. Suddenly, crossing the border became just too risky for Liz. Starting in March of 2020, people were told not to cross the U.S.-Mexico border unless they absolutely had to. And even though Liz had a really good argument for why she needed to keep on crossing, She says she didn't want to expose herself to the virus by crossing the border and being around crowds, especially because people with diabetes like her are considered high risk when it comes to the virus. So Liz had to start rationing her insulin again. I did ration a little bit. So, you know, I would just mostly take the afternoon doses and not take anything in the morning, just try not to eat anything that had any kind of sweetness in it or any carbs that could turn into sugar. So, you know, a lot of cinnamon tea and natural things that lower your glucose level. And that's how I got through it. We'll come back to Liz a little later. But first, I want to drop back in on our insulin trip with Aaron. That was in the video. That's how I knew where we were going. Eventually, we found the pharmacy Aaron was looking for. It was actually sort of hidden in the shadow of one of the huge new medical centers being built at the border. And you can hear it in the tape. The unrelenting drone of construction was everywhere around us. Yep. Okay, this looks right. We're revisiting the steps of vice. Aaron recognized the pharmacist. Hi there. I need some Lantus. Yes. Uh, Lantus pens. How many do you need? I know if I buy in bulk, it's a cheaper price. The pharmacist is a Mexican-American man who told us he's lived on both sides of the border. Hence his perfect English. They have the single or the five-pack? The five-pack. Get on out. Just the, the one five-pack? Yeah, just one five-pack. That'd be fine. That's two and a half months. His name is Rodrigo Romero, and he says Aaron's not the only one who saw the Vice video and then searched him out in Tijuana. We actually had quite a few, actually got a few phone calls and stuff after that. Um, just a handful, really. 
just a handful. Well, we had quite a few people saying like, oh, we saw you. And then I had phone calls from um, uh, labs and stuff that do like, oh, we do research with uh, diabetics and stuff um, in San Diego and stuff. Like, oh, would you mind if we send patients and stuff and refer them down there? I'm like, send whoever you want. Yeah, absolutely. So Rodrigo had to call over to another PayPharma location to get more insulin. While we waited, he told us more about the medical tourism industry in Tijuana. He said the reason insulin is so much cheaper in Mexico isn't because it's a different, like, cheaper or crappier product. Yeah, it, it's the same patent. It's patented. It comes from the same labs, all, all of that. It's just, you know, the Why different... Why so much cheaper? The government negotiates prices here. And, uh, and you have a, a better negotiating government. Because the government doesn't negotiate them over there. Over there in the U.S., it's just it's privatized. They let the uh, pharmaceuticals set their prices and go straight to the um, to the companies, and then they set their prices on what they want to sell it to, and you're kind of just stuck there. And here, it's negotiated down by the government, and after that, that's the price. You you can't mess with. Like once we get it, we we can't mess with it. We can give it discount maybe, but we can't bump it up. Right. Yeah. Basically, Rodrigo said Mexico has fewer rules and regulations when it comes to getting drugs on the market, but more regulation when it comes to how those drugs are priced. And yeah, the support of the government um, helps a lot. The government really um, sticks its hand in trying to keep prices down for um, the common people. It's not just um, profits, it's, they really look for, out for the, uh, the citizens here. Um, and obviously, you know, that spills over and, and benefits uh, whoever lives across the border. So, yeah, this is why so many Americans come here to take advantage of these cheaper prices that are set by the Mexican government. Rodrigo said pretty much all of the new construction we were hearing that day was to accommodate the flood of medical tourists. So all of this is just going to be medical tourism just and it's you know you walk across the border do what you need to and you head back if you drive they have the medical lane um, where you get the passes so you don't have to sit in line for three hours you just kind of come do your thing and, and head on out so we've seen the boom um, everything that's happening here is very recent in the past few years it's just you know all of a sudden it built up enough um, there was enough demand there was enough profit where they could finally invest and do something to make it world-class so yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of going through it all right now. <laughs> Rodrigo told us that insulin is by far the most in-demand medication his U.S. clients are buying. A lot of stuff that I'm surprised, you know, you would think most of the people are just like, they're coming from San Diego and stuff. I've had people tell me like, um, yeah, no, we came from Florida. I was like, Florida? They're like, yeah, it's cheaper for us to do the flight, the hotel and all that stuff, come get our treatment, fly back, than it is to uh, just go see our doctor there in our hometown. I was just like... That, that one really blew my mind. I'm like, that's not a cheap flight. And then hotels in San Diego aren't <laughs> cheap either. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're gonna be here. So just how cheap was the insulin Aaron was about to buy from Rodrigo? At first, he quoted her $12 a vial, which was ridiculously affordable. That's exciting. It's only $12. It's unbelievable. 12 fucking dollars. Huh. Yeah. $12 compared to 110 in the U.S. It's 10%. Where's the 90% going? Who's, who's taking the 90%? But then when Rodrigo went to ring up the insulin, the price shot up big time to $20 a vial, which is almost double. 
Aaron was not stoked about the sudden price change. I'm, I'm feeling a little duped here. I know. I, uh, Rodrigo explained what happened. He said small price fluctuations throughout the year are normal. Usually the pattern is twice a year you, get, you see a little bit of a bump. Um, sometimes it drops, which is weird, but <laughs> um, that's the way it goes. Rodrigo said those bumps typically happen right at the beginning and then again in the middle of the year. So since we crossed in January of 2020, Aaron got the higher price. But the price tag was still way lower than it is in the U.S. So Aaron went ahead and bought it. So I'm getting 10 vials for 20 bucks each. Ten vials for twenty bucks each. It's still quite a deal, and I'm gonna be pissy about. <laughs> I almost got them for twelve. Know, One, so, two, so three. Sorry Before we left, Aaron asked Rodrigo about crossing the insulin back to the U.S. He told her she didn't have to worry too much. Usually, the recommendation is if they ask you, say you have something. Typically, if you didn't need a prescription for it, you technically don't have to say anything. Um, antibiotics, any controlled substances, you have to be like, yes, I have it, here's my prescription, you're good to go. This, you really don't need anything, but just to play it safe, because sometimes you'll get a guy and you'll be like, hey, I have this, yeah, I don't care, just go through. Sometimes you get someone, even with all the paperwork, well, why do you have it, why are you coming here, how many days is it for, are you doing it for more than 30 days, you know, are you trying to sell it, what's this? It's just a luck of the draw with the uh, agent you're gonna get, best bet, just play it safe, be like, yeah, I have it. Um, insulin, stuff like that. You don't need your prescription, so they can't really give you a hassle for it. And like I said, the control stuff, all that stuff, as long as you are got your paperwork, you're going to be fine. As we walked back toward the border crossing, Erin told us she felt extremely lucky that she was able to save so much money, but also conflicted. I am so happy for myself and I am so sad for all the people that don't have this privilege because it's just not right. It's wrong that I'm able to cross the border and get this like this. Um, you know, it's my, my kid needs this to, to live and other people need this to live who don't have resources and who can't drive an hour to cross the border. They live in Kansas or wherever, Utah, and they don't have access to this mecca of reasonably priced medicine. And so it's interesting that he said the government negotiates the prices. So where is our government in this? Why are they not helping us? It's so frustrating. So I feel like I have this privilege, but at the same time, uh, it's wrong what's happening on the U.S. side. They're just screwing us. As we got closer to the port of entry, the delicious smell of carne asada filled the air around us. How about we get some tacos? I love some tacos. Let's go. Should we go to the After our taco pit stop, we got in line to cross back to the U.S. And about 45 minutes later, made it. So what? Just happened? 
Um, he said, where are you going? In a very serious voice. I said, I'm going home to San Diego. And he said, why were you he- here? Why were you in Mexico, I guess, he said. And I said, to get medication for my son. And he said, do you have it with you? I said, yes. And he said, let me see it. <laughs> and I opened it up and I said, it's insulin. It needs to be refrigerated. And he looked in my little refrigeration pack and he said, okay, thank you. And that was it. And I've got two boxes. I've got 10 pens in each box, three to four months supply. And woohoo, saved a thousand bucks. Success. Okay, so flash forward to now. Do you want me to hold it so you don't have to reach like that? Do you want me to just... Or we can both sit on the couch. Why don't we both sit on the couch? Oh, okay, that works. Oh, I want to get my spreadsheet. <laughs> it's been about a year and a half since our trip to Tijuana to buy insulin with Aaron. So my producer Kinsey met up with Aaron back in San Diego to check in. And since then, Aaron says she hasn't crossed the border at all, in part because of the pandemic. I didn't go back because everything got shut down. But also because Aaron, being the savvy, spreadsheet-making, deal-loving woman she is, did some research and figured out a way to get more affordable insulin on this side of the border. I found a savings card, which I don't think I knew, I don't think I had when we were walking across that. And the savings card is this bizarre thing that says, oh, instead of paying $700 a month for your insulin, you pay zero or you pay $25. And it, it, it's if you don't know about it, like, it's a big deal. It's a big difference. So, so that's offered through the insurance company? It's offered through the pharmaceutical company. And you just have to know to search for it online. So yeah, Aaron has found yet another price hack for insulin though it doesn't come into play until after she pays out her insurance's $3,000 deductible. And Liz Salcido, she actually lost her job right before the pandemic hit. And like I said before, she had to start rationing her insulin because she was just too afraid to get the virus while crossing the border. But the unexpected upside was that being unemployed meant she eventually qualified for Medi-Cal. So a few months into the pandemic, for the first time since her diabetes diagnosis, Liz got insurance that now covers the full cost of her insulin. Now they cover everything, so I don't have to go to Tijuana. It makes it a lot easier. It makes, you know, life a little different. But here's the thing. Liz says she feels completely stuck in this ridiculous catch-22 because if she gets a job, she'll lose Medi-Cal. And if the job doesn't have good benefits, her insulin affordability problem could come right back and she'll be back to crossing the border. It's still sort of in the back of my mind, you know, that once I go back to work, my insurance will go back to being covered California and then I'll go back to having a a copay then, you know, I'll have to worry about crossing the border. I love having that option of being able to cross the border and going to Mexico because you, you know, you really pay what things are worth, not the exaggerated prices that we have here in the United States. And then we get tacos. So (laughs) that's the bonus. 
next time on the podcast. It was like, for me, it was like the light bulb ding. I was like, well, TJ is right here and we love Mexico. I was like, why don't we just think about Mexico? We continue our series on medical tourism at the border with a California couple who tries one more last-ditch effort to make a baby. So I was just like, oh my gosh, no, like, I I don't want to do that down there. And I was like, oh, they're probably going to steal my babies. It's about what happens when the future you envisioned is suddenly ripped out of your hands and you're willing to do anything to try to get it back. Port of Entry is written and produced by Kinsey Moreland. Emily Jankowski is the co-producer and director of sound design. Elisa Barba edited this episode. Lisa Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is the interim associate general manager of content. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. I'm Alan Liliental. Gracias por su atención. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.